0: Uh, we've been going through our core beliefs, and today is our final core belief, and it's also the first Sunday of, of Advent. So uh, it, it, the, the, this truth that we hold on to is this, the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. Advent uh, is the time where we, we lead up, of course, to Christmas, but we, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus and and. In doing so, we put ourselves, we relate to the exiles uh, in the Old Testament who waited and waited for, for the coming Messiah, and then we wait ourselves for his second coming. So we sit in between the two comings of Jesus, um, because his kingdom is both already and not yet. And that's, that's what we want to uh, unpack this morning. Now, the past couple of weeks, we've already talked about how the kingdom of God is here, we talked about how Jesus himself, as he appeared and as he ministered, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And that wasn't some ethereal notion. He was saying, it's, it's here, it's in your midst, it's, it, it's me. <laughs> we talked about how he went into the synagogue and un, uh, unrolled Isaiah 61 and, and read all of the, the prophetic utterances of of the coming Messiah and what he was going to do when he said, he unrolled it and said, it's fulfilled in your midst. Or as N.T. Wright says, this starts today. The kingdom of God came with the king. And his entire ministry then was a, a sort of multi-sensory demonstration of the kingdom of God. I mean, you, you couldn't be around him and not see it. You, you saw the broken things we put together. You saw Deaf ears be healed. You saw blind eyes be opened. You saw people filled with shame, released from shame. You saw guilt leave, forgiveness come. Everywhere you looked, you saw the kingdom of of the enemy, the kingdom of Satan loosening, and the kingdom of God coming. And then you saw it again with the disciples. And how disappointing, how frustrating this must have been for those who killed Jesus Christ because they thought that you kill the shepherd and the sheep scatter, but what actually happened is you kill the shepherd and the shepherd didn't stay dead. And then the spirit of Jesus Christ then is poured out on on his followers. So instead of just having one Jesus, now it's like you've got thousands. Yeah, that's good news, yeah. So what happens? They're going all over the place and they are doing the same things that their master did. And in, in, in a very short time, you saw the, the empire, the entire Roman Empire get turned on its head because of all of these people who were walking around proclaiming the kingdom of God was here. So blind eyes were opened once again. Brokenness was, was repaired. The kingdom of God is already. And then here we are today, or 2,000 years later. And you can't go to any corner of the world and not find followers of Jesus Christ. He is unquestionably the most influential person to ever walk the earth. Nobody, nobody comes close. Even those who despise him. Have adopted many of his ethics, elevating the oppressed, loving your neighbor, turning away from violence, all of these things. They were not embraced uh, social ethics anywhere in the ancient world. Jesus Christ introduced them to the world, and now it, they're just sort of taken for granted. Consider this, for instance. In the days of Jesus, about one third of the Roman Empire was enslaved. Isn't that crazy? Consider that sexual violence was virtually expected in Roman households, and, and human rights didn't even exist as a concept. People today have adopted many of, of, of the views and, and, and uh, uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ accidentally, they didn't even mean to. We cannot ignore his fingerprints on the world. And his church truly is everywhere, and he has moved, and he is moving in mighty ways. The kingdom of God is already. But the 20th century was still the bloodiest century in human history. War persists, violence persists, hatred and corruption persist, even among those who claim to be his followers sometimes. Civilization is not the answer. If it was, we wouldn't have seen what we saw in this last century of of some of the most civilized nations on earth doing the most terrible things that we've ever seen. Civilization is not the answer. Education is not the answer. Some of the most educated people can do the most terrible things. Only the king himself can come and save us, and he has not yet returned. The kingdom of God is already... But it is also not yet. And I think we need to hold these two truths together in tension. We live in in the space between the comings of Jesus Christ, and it's essential that we understand both. For example, what if we only believed the kingdom of God was coming in the future and, and neglected the already part? Well, if this actually happens all the time, I'll tell you what would happen. We wouldn't expect very much for one thing. We'd have, very, we'd have lowered expectations. We'd we have a very good handle on disappointment, but maybe not much else. Our faith would, would lack any kind of victory. We would become flat and, and bland in our faith, distant, waiting for the great by and by and everything that we do. When we we neglect this truth, we we start to neglect the world and sometimes start to resent the world for getting in the way of eternity. End up forgetting the presence of the Holy Spirit and we just wait for the great hibernation (laughs) or evacuation. But then what if we only believed the kingdom of God was already here, but it ignored the fact that there's a fuller manifestation of it yet to come? Well, we'd also find ourselves in error. I, I think what would happen is we end up setting ourselves up for a shipwrecked faith. This also happens all the time. We we start believing that a utopia is possible, that if we just get the right social Construct where everybody believes in the the proper ethics, and we can make everything work. And that happens in places where people don't believe in God, and it also happens where people do believe in God, where if we can just get the the right people in office and the right laws and all these things, then everything will be just as it should be, and the kingdom of God will come perfectly right here. And I want to tell you that you're setting yourself up for a great disappointment, because here's the problem people are still broken. The world is still broken. systems are still broken. The king has not yet returned to make all things new. We're setting ourselves up for a massive disappointment. One area this shows up often is in the area of miracles. In places like this, we strongly believe that the Holy Spirit is still active. That was our, that was our third core belief. But if we neglect the truth of the full kingdom coming, then we're going to think, well, right now then is what it is. And we're going to start to expect that every single time we pray, then God does a miracle every single time. And we'll start to, to have this sort of guarantee in our minds that, that anytime we're in a jam, God gets us out of the jam. And that might work for a while because God does really come through, but eventually we're going to run into something. Eventually a loved one is going to die. Eventually a healing's not going to come. Eventually God's going to say, Wait and not come through and evacuate us from a situation. And that that's gonna be a hard pill to swallow. And when we when we take these things as guarantees and when we tell people that these are guarantees, we're setting them we're setting them up for to having to, to completely have to 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 deconstruct as they say today and work through the wreckage. The kingdom of God is already, but it is also Not yet. We must take the strengths of both of these truths and hold them together in tension. Christ will come again. The kingdom of God will one day be complete, but it is not there yet. Now, personally, I used to hate thinking about the future coming of Jesus. You know why? It's because I'm stubborn, that's why. It's because I grew up in the 90s, and and those who grew up in the 90s had to reckon with the Left Behind series. Because everybody was reading it and carrying their paperbacks all over the place. Have you read that? Have you read book three yet? Have you read book four yet? And I just said, no, 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 I did not. I was very stubborn, just like I told you a few months ago that I refused to watch Titanic back in the day, and that was like this piece of pride. I will not watch this thing that everyone's watching. And I did the same thing with Left Behind. I did not. So I held that as a piece of pride. I did not like the theology. I continue to not like the theology, by the way. Um, But I did not like this whole thing of like looking toward the end all the time. And and what good is it to think about the end? Like we've got enough here to do. But you guys, I was chastised by none other than C.S. Lewis. When C.S. Lewis chastises me, it's really hard for me, I'm gonna tell you. Here's a quote by Mr. Lewis. You ready for this? I've shared this a couple of times before, and I will share it till the end of time. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next the apostles themselves who set foot on the, on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up uh, the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. <coughs> Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you will get neither. (laughs) Hello. I was roundly chastised. Can I get a drink of water? Somebody grab me some water. I appreciate that. And what does that other world look like? Wow, look at that. Pastoral staff running. I love that. This is good. (laughs) What does the other world look like that he mentions here? I want to ask you to do something. Close your eyes for a second when I read this scripture and listen to what your heart does. Revelation 21, one through (coughs) five. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. things new. I can open your eyes. What happens to your heart as you read this? Does it throb to see cancer eliminated? Does it ache to see the freedom of those who are currently oppressed in this broken world? Does it Does it drift to those lost loved ones that Joshua mentioned this morning, people we desperately miss? If your heart throbs, that is good, my friends. That is good. It's right and it's proper that our hearts yearn for Restoration Day. This is is a way better description, This, this new creation. It's a way better description than the than the news of of clouds and harps and naked babies singing and flying around like bored ghosts binging on veggie tails. It's something so much better than that. Our hope is new creation. That's our destiny. Not a never-ending, incorporeal church service, but a colorful, tangible, vibrant, exciting, mysterious creation, new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And a king who says, behold, I make all things new. In other words, I make all things over again. We will be made new. Our bodies, are graying bodies, our eyes who no longer focus, Old eye. Our hearts also will be made new. Our brokenness, my heart will be made new. My, my tendency toward isolation, resentment will all be made new. We're all in the process of sanctification, I know, and he's he's restoring us, and we're moving down that road, and I'm making progress, and I, I, I know you're making progress. But one day, he who began a good work on us will be faithful to complete it completely. It will be done. Blessed are we who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for we will be satisfied. What a beautiful promise. What happens to your heart as you think of new creation? I'll tell you what mine does. I'm actually gonna read to you what mine does because... I wrote this out a few years ago as I was writing my book and I I took a long time to say it exactly like this. So rather than stumbling around, I thought I'd just read it. Is that okay? I think I've even read this section in a sermon before, but I'm going back to it because I wrote a chapter on this particular uh, truth. I feel the truth of the promise of revelation. My own longing bears witness to the reality of the world and the coming of that day. For as C.S. Lewis said, we only possess desires for things that actually exist, food and water, sleep and sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What in this realm can satisfy our universal thirst for health and wholeness? We simply cannot find it. Not amid volcanoes and cancers, blizzards and bereavements, cold-blooded cruelty and violent indifference. Here we find rejection that leads to addiction and shame that leads to suicide. Here we find a hundred million hungry orphans who have never tasted trust. Our world is a war zone of wills, a a whirlwind of sickness, a, a collision of selfish lusts. While we find many things here, perfect wholeness is not among them. And yet the longing persists no matter how hard we try to smother it. I felt it again that night at the, near, at the mere mention of breakthrough and it brought me to my knees. You have felt it too. The longing throbs when you pass the graveyard and blares under the flashing lights of the ambulance. You've even felt it in the regret that comes after a moment of swift selfishness. It's not supposed to be that way, it says. It was never supposed to be that way. Sickness is a trespasser. Sin and death are shadowy brigands we were never supposed to meet. And the harsh symptoms of severe autism were never invited here. Truly, we were made for another world where those invaders cannot go. And one day, the boundaries of that beautiful country will extend to the land of unanswered prayer on that day, the stubborn promise burning in our bones will finally be fulfilled. Not just my desires, but my son's desires too. My Jack will be free from his comorbid captors. No longer will he squeal in rage against his uncooperative limbs. No longer will panic seize him and toss him to the floor. His tongue will be unfrozen and his heart set free. Every sentiment he's ever wanted to share can finally come pouring out, breakthrough. That's all I ever wanted. That prayer pushed me out of space and time. I didn't want to wait until Restoration Day to hear Jack's songs. I wanted to hear them right then. That night, I was weary of waiting. I am still weary of waiting. For now, Jack and I stand where you stand. We wait in God's kingdom, which is at once already and not yet. Christ came to die once, dying and raising to inaugurate his rule. When he ascended, he invited us to join in his campaign of comforting the afflicted, healing the sick, and praying God's will be done. It is not done yet, but it will be. We walk toward that day as ambassadors, not only of Christ, but of his unfinished kingdom. We wear the badge of promise on our chests, the promise of breakthrough, the insignia of our true home. When my friend stood and prayed that night, he knew well the promise of Restoration Day. He also knew the odds of getting a miracle on that evening. (laughs) Miracles rarely happen in this age, and still he asked. This is not only the mark of an ambassador, but also the mark of a son. This is what Christ calls us to do. Breakthrough didn't come that night for Jack. I didn't get my miracle, but the mere request reminded me that breakthrough was not a fiction. That prayer snapped my mind back to a truth I had long neglected. Jack's struggle will one day end. And on that day, he will receive a double honor. For as Luke says, the people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And and behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. I try to imagine the scene. My Jack at the head of the banquet table in full command of his faculties. He's telling jokes up there. Everyone's laughing. His face is full of delight. And he has friends there too, real friends. I imagine him calling the name of a boy three chairs down. They pound their fists together and begin to relive their adventures. I see him lean over to kiss his mother on the cheek and pin a flower on her blouse. It's blue, his favorite color. I see him raise up a song from a Disney movie and everyone joins in. And when it ends, he begins to tease his siblings about the quality of their singing. He is merciless, but none of them can stop laughing. And then he turns to me, gripping my shoulders. We lock eyes. They stay locked. He can see the tears welling up in mine, so he smiles and reminds me of a time he had been upset but couldn't tell me why. At last, he can explain what was wrong. And I try to listen because I want to know I really do, but all I can manage to think is to think to myself, my son was lost, but now he is found. That's where my heart goes. I long for restoration day. I long for all things to be made new. And it's going to happen, friends. And it's not going to be a thing where we're lined up on a long staircase in St. Peter's, there looking for our name. No, it's going to be much, much, much better. It's going to be, going to be a feast. Revelation 19 says this then I heard the sound of a ma- of massed choirs the sound of a mighty cataract the sound of a strong thunder hallelujah the master reigns our god the sovereign strong let us celebrate let us rejoice let us give him the glory the marriage of the lamb has come his wife has made herself ready she was given a bridal gown of bright and shining linen and linen is the righteousness of the saints The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It is a supper. It is a feast. It is a wedding feast. The ministry of Jesus began with a wedding and it ends with another one, a greater one. What do we do until that day? We wait, but not without anticipation. As I've said before, Waiting without anticipation is just loitering. And we're not kids. We're not bored kids burning time at the mall, you know? We wait with an eye toward redemption and with a determination to be part of that redemption. Think of it this way. We're preparing for a wedding feast, right? Well, until the big day comes, every act of redemption every act of peace or justice or healing, every one of those is a rehearsal. At the wedding feast, all of those gifts become permanents. We can offer the peace of Christ to a hurting friend. That's a rehearsal for the permanent and peaceful reign of Christ Jesus. We can lay hands on the sick and see their bodies healed for a season. That is a dress rehearsal for the permanent resurrected bodies we will have in the new creation. We can comfort those who mourn. That is a rehearsal for when all of our tears are dried. Every blessing we give in the name of Christ is a pre-echo to the thunderous chorus of the wedding band. All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. This is how we live in the in-between country. Even at midnight, we walk by the glow of the city before us, the glow of promise. So when victory comes, we praise God that his kingdom has indeed come. And when victory is withheld, we praise God, for the kingdom will indeed come when Christ returns. And until that day, we're, we're like Paul, you know, to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We can't lose. Even darkness is tinged with light. Even the shadow of death only serves to remind us of the everlasting life to come. What I'm telling you guys is that the enemy's plans are now turned back on themselves. Every defeat is ruined by whispers of victory. We might say, you know what? The healing didn't come. This is hard, but one day it will come and all things will be made new. You might say, you know, I blew it today, I cursed a neighbor. I lied, I lusted, I held contempt in my heart, but you know what? God is still walking with me and one day even I myself will be made completely new. You see, because of the promise of new creation, because the kingdom of God is coming, because of that promise, sorrow has completely lost its luster. Every curse is marred with blessing. Every sad dirge is ruined by a strumming ukulele. Every bit of bad news, every heartache is now tainted forever with joy. The kingdom of God is already, but it's also coming soon. A new creation, a new king, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. May we wait in hope for your coming. May we fix our eyes on the perfect victory that you are going to bring. And may we believe that the God who began a good work in us and through us and around us will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. So let us be faithful. Let us walk in hope. Let us walk in joy, Lord Jesus. May you taint every sorrow with hope. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said... Amen. If you need prayer for anything this morning, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you guys. Bless you.